once again, and I am Mike Scala. This is Nuance, of course, joined as always by Jay Carter, also known as Timid, the hip hop artist and the chair of BLM Tokyo. What's going on, Jay? Yeah. Um, just, just negative this week. Negative. Yeah. What is that? I'm looking for, you know, I'm uh, on the job hunt, looking for a new contract. And I applied for for a place through the through a job board, and you can apply right there. You know how you have your your resume and, and, and do your cover letter, all that stuff. And so you send it to the company. Then I get a, a message the next day from that company on the job board saying, "Oh, invite you to apply on our website." So then you go to their website, and you you send them the exact same material, the resume and. I just copy and pasted the exact cover letter that I sent them prior. You already have this information. I send that to them. And then later that day, the same day, I get an email from them saying, oh, we'd like to invite you to uh, take part in our uh, first step in our interview process. This is our recruitment process. Please send us a three-minute um, video submission hmm. of an introduction ans answering these questions. Like, what the heck? And they're the same question that you answered before? Well, they're going to be the same questions that'll be in the interview once you finally get to a face-to-face -face interview. It's just like, I mean, and I know video submissions are starting to become more of a thing uh, in recruitment process, but it's just like making people jump through hoops. It's off-putting. It's disrespectful, in my opinion. It's lazy. Um, it's just... It's Wait a just, second. Video submissions are off-putting? Yeah. Like why? Why should I? Why should I haven't even talked to anybody yet? Why should I send you a three-minute video introducing myself, talking about my background, what it is I want to do at this job, uh, you know, and, and a fun fact about myself? Like how stupid is that? Like right. this is supposed to be part of the interview when we talk, when we sit down and actually talk. Like if your interviewer can't glean that information in a face-to-face -face interview, then they're not the right person to be doing the interviews. Right, right. And it shows that they're, I don't know if they're per se lazy, right? but I think it is a lazy thing to do because normally you would at least give someone the respect of giving them the interview. And if they're going to give you the interview, then you'll sit down with them and happily have those discussions. But now under this model, it's like, you know, they can ask for a thousand video submissions and it's just, there, there's no filter that you're detecting there right and so it doesn't seem like they're giving you any hope or any any anything on their side that shows you that they're serious about you right they're asking you to jump through these hoops but they're not giving up what they normally would when they would schedule you for a national interview right you know it's and it's it's like a a cattle type of maneuver right and i know a lot of positions get like especially these days get like hundreds of applications and they try to whittle them down that's why they put them through these um ats systems that try to automatically using uh, machine learning pull out what they think is appropriate and then they look at that batch to to go through to see if they're going to do interviews um but they're adding some places are adding more stuff like this video so i don't know how how many people are added if you're not going to look at all the resumes you're sure not going to look at all the videos that are three minutes long. Like you're just making people do stuff just for the sake of doing stuff. You know, it's like, it's ridiculous. Right. Right. I can see that. It's funny. Technology always has its pros and cons, right? On the one hand, it's nice that we can do all these things in a more convenient fashion. And we're able to even do something like this if we wanted to. But on the other hand, it, it, it does feel like you put it off-putting because they're not giving the time of day to you necessarily. They're, you know, they're just telling you to do all these things for them, but you don't even know if they're going to look at them. Right. I, I dealt with something similar in the campaigns that we did prior to COVID and the Zoom era, right? All of the endorsement interviews would be in person. And normally if you went there, it meant something. It didn't mean you were going to get an endorsement, obviously, but if they were scheduling you for an interview, they took, they took the time to schedule you for an interview. It kind of sent a signal that they were serious enough about you or you were in enough consideration to be asked to travel to their office, take time out of your busy campaign schedule and sit down with them, right? It meant a little something to have that personal invite. And they wouldn't invite uh, 
everyone. And not every group felt they could invite all the candidates because the candidates would not be able to travel to every group's office all around the city or the state or whatever. And so it was a more selective kind of process. Fast forward to 2021, coming out of the, really still in the COVID era, still very much in a Zoom era, wanted to do Zoom interviews. But what that meant was, on the one hand, it was more convenient, right? The candidates could sit at home and do 30 of them in a day or whatever. But what it meant was every little group expected you to get on there and do a Zoom interview. And really, you would be spending all of your time doing Zoom interviews if you took all of them, because there were just so many, right? A lot of these small groups wouldn't invite all the candidates to come sit with them because they knew that the candidates had to prioritize. And, you know, you know, it was more of a serious type thing. It became, I think, devalued in the Zoom era, where it was just an expectation. What's the big deal? You're getting on Zoom for a few minutes. Right. But when a thousand people are asking you to do this now, all you're doing is Zooming. Um, it is a little off-putting at times. Well, imagine if, say, you're trying to get that endorsement um, and prior to the 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 Zoom interview or prior to the actual interview where you sit down with them, they were like, here, we have five questions send us a video submission of you answering those questions and then we'll consider doing a video in uh, an actual interview with you like you'd be like what like yeah some do things kind of like that although i don't know if i've seen the video essay format i've gotten that from a few places that wanted to show it maybe they have a facebook group and you know do do a little video we'll put it on our facebook or or, you know show it to our members that's not as common as the questionnaire though and that's the whole thing right because some of these questionnaires are very indulgent I guess, right. you know, no problem with a questionnaire from any group where they're asking you where you stand on their core issues and multiple choice. Yes, no, click a box, you know, whatever, fine. But when they start getting into, you know, here's 250 questions and we want them in essay format, then it's like, yeah. I mean, am I, are we spending the entire campaign seeking your endorsement or are we acknowledging there are other things out there too? Right, absolutely. And then the question then becomes one of privacy. Like, what are you doing with this sub- submission, this video? Like, who's viewing it? How are you storing it? And are you going to delete it if, uh, if you know, the person's not chosen for the position? What's what's happening with that? You know, I mean, we've seen video submissions pop up on the internet, you know, people that had applied for some job long ago. And, you know, I mean, they made a ridiculous video submission, but they end up on the internet for memes and whatnot. Like, you know, I need to know that type of stuff, especially these days. Right, right. Yeah, it's funny. I think I saw someone beefing about cover letters recently saying these companies are still asking me to do a cover letter. It's 2023. Yeah. I'm not doing no cover letter, you know, because <laughs> the seen cover letter too. is very pretentious too, right? They want you to say things. I think at least historically, this cover letter deal has been set up where it seems like they're looking for things that are not genuine. They want you to say like, you know, I don't know, I think this will be a great opportunity for me for all these reasons. And it's like, you're just kind of telling them what you think they want to hear, not really why you're looking for that job. Right. I I, I agree. Um, just, yeah, maybe that's why I don't get a lot of uh, callbacks is half the time I don't send a cover letter. <laughs> yeah, I think. I, mean, I think it's ridiculous. I, like you've got, you've got my resume. Right. You've got my resume and you getting a feel for me like it, it would be the interview part. Right. Like the cover letter is not going to really tell you much um, on there. I mean, I guess you could say some other things and give a, you know, uh, a little bit of a personality and put a, that into it. But yeah. I don't know. It's a little bit, but it, it seems like they want the generic for the most part. You can deviate maybe a little bit, show some quirks about you. But I think yeah. everyone in the cover letter is basically saying the same thing right they're saying these things that they think you're supposed to say in a cover letter so it is kind of silly right and that's what people are going to do they're going to just you know put whatever in it just to you know no yeah you'd say this is the kind of opportunity you've been looking for it's it sounds like a challenging thing it's like you know there are certain buzzwords and phrases that you're told to use or you see other people using and you just do it yeah exactly so (laughs) so uh you know, HR and hiring people and people with their recruit- recruitment processes. Stop waterboarding candidates. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That reminds me of the process of renting an apartment. We talked about that on here once. Right. The things that they're yeah. asking. It's crazy. It's crazy. I just want to take out my checkbook and say, here's the money for a year. Stop hounding me. Stop trying to get all my information. I'll just pay you up front. How about that? 
but they don't want that. Right? They want to get all your information and get, for some reason, it seems like that's a more popular model, the month to month thing. I don't know why. Right. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I don't know people. It, it's, I think you hit it on the head a little bit with the word pretentious. <laughs> right. Right. It's just so much pretentious stuff these days. You know, I just, I don't know. Yeah. But that's also part of why I was never really cut out to be an employee. No, you never were. I just find the whole workplace culture in the U.S. at least to be pretentious. Um, I don't know if other people are just tolerating it or some others just aren't seeing what I'm seeing. But I always feel like there's a level of psychological warfare or dominance at play, even if it's subtle. Right. It might not be over. Maybe kids today would call them microaggressions. I don't know. But there's always something in it where it's like they just they want you to feel like you're inferior to them because they're paying you. I, I never like that. Right. And it's something that yeah. I'm self-conscious about now that I've got people I pay and I'm, I'm very happy that I'm able to help give people jobs, work. But I never want to be looked at as that kind of boss. Right. That other that I would see in other people or or I never want to be looked at as being part of that pretentious workplace culture that I found right. myself. Right. No, I, you really, if you hadn't become a lawyer and, and done your own thing, I don't, I don't know how you would have, would have made it through. Cause you, yeah, you definitely weren't interested in that typical workplace type of thing. Like, cause you're like, look, if I can get the job done, like what does the rest of this mean? It's like, why yeah. are you basically forcing me to do stuff when I'm already done what you need. You know what I mean? Like it didn't, right. it doesn't make sense. And I completely agree yeah. with you yeah. on it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What would you have done if you didn't have gone, hadn't gone to law school? Well, I don't know. I would have continued to focus on music. I know that not something that I've been thinking about lately that I kind of allow the music to take a back seat because who knows yeah. where that would have gone. You know, I've I would think that too. Yeah, I always intended to do both, right? Music and the law, but it just took, and then because I got into politics also, it, it forced me to not focus on the music as much. And, you know, now I'm trying to put something out for the first time in a while, you know, because I always wanted to get back to it. So I don't know, you know, I don't know. I, I think though, whatever it was, it would have been entrepreneurial in some way. I think it would have been right. running my own thing, you know, may, maybe do multiple things. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was thinking about that, the same thing um, recently, because I've, uh, you know, I still am in contact with some people in the music stuff. And, um, you know, I see that they're still doing it as their as a primary thing. And just like, you know, I think we kind of put it in the back seat a little bit more, probably mm -hmm. starting with the first campaign. Yeah, we're oh, like, yeah. Yeah, like we're gonna put put in efforts to make this happen, and I think that's kind of when we kind of step back a little bit from. Well, even for me, law school. I know, I know you were still doing, I think, more right. with music when I was in law school. Right. But for me, you know, it just was so not overwhelming, but just time consuming, right? Right. Where right. I couldn't, and even during, I mean, we did the Inferno video while I was still in law school. I was still trying to do things. I, was, I think I put out some mixtape stuff, and I was still trying to do things. Right. And I would get upset when people would assume that I was no longer going to do music because I was in law school. So the whole reason why I'm going to law school is to try to change people's perceptions of what is possible. I, I want to do both, but it is a, a matter of time. I mean, it really is, right. you know, especially if you start getting into politics. Uh, you know, imagine, and, and, and now, to this day, I still struggle with that, being a lawyer, right. being in politics, and trying to do music at the same time. It's not easy. You have to prioritize and make time for each. I got to say, you know, maybe for these next few months, I'm going to focus more on this one and the other has got to take a back seat. Right. Yeah. And you know, at that same time, when you were in law school, I was also in school at the time. Okay. Um, Forgot about that. Yeah. 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 I was trying to, I was trying to balance it out as well. Um, I think over the years, I've probably done a little bit more bits than you have um but not as much time and effort into it as prior you right know? right but i do look at it like i'm in a position in life now where 
I can do better with my music than I was able to even back then. And so that's actually exciting. I've got more connections. It's funny how that works. Getting involved in politics in Queens and New York City, you also get connections to to hip hop people, people in the music industry, all all kinds of people, right? And I know more and I've got more resources now and I've more experience, all these different things, life. And so I actually feel like for my music, I'm in the best spot I've ever been in, even though I haven't been focusing on it for a while. Yeah. No, and that's good. That's good. I think it's I think part of that is being uh, displayed in in the process that you're doing um, with this Mm. new upcoming album, too. So, Mm. yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I've been in such a such a recording and mixing and creative mode that I haven't even been thinking actively about the promotion of it. And that's going to be the next step, right? Putting it all out, getting it out there, make sure people hear it. I haven't even really been focusing on that. I just want to have the content ready, but I'm going to be transitioning into that phase of it to make sure that it gets heard, right? Because you don't want to put your all into something and then just have a go and have no one hear it. It's like a tree falling in the forest, right? It's like, did it even fall if no one heard it? That kind of thing. So right. it does get out there because I did put a lot of time into it and I'm proud of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we've talked about the the marketing issue Um things are definitely different now. I think there are some more avenues that are opened up. Um, but it's, you know, these days it's a, it's a content thing. You know, you've got to put a lot of content together around this, uh, whatever it is you're releasing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And be very concentrated in that effort to, to get that out. So, right. Uh, well, that's why I'm trying to have things ready to go, not just different singles, but videos and, you know, thinking of, the stories you want to tell with the songs and the bios and the visual aids, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right. And people don't think about that a lot these days, you know, and, and we've had that conversation as far as like the stories and the people oh, yeah. just, you know, singles. I just saw a post the other day where someone mentioned like, yeah, we went from like four to five minute songs down to like, you know, four to five minute songs with albums. Now to like two minute um, throwaway songs, so to speak, you know, Mm-hmm. But I always thought that the story is what sold the artist. The songs don't really sum this. So you could have a hot song and maybe it'll, you know, back in the day, it would sell ringtones or it would sell downloads right on iTunes or even way back in the days, CDs or cassettes. But that's it. Maybe get some airplay on the radio. Maybe now it gets on some TikTok videos, but it's it's just a hot song. But how do you? create a hot artist? How do you make people care about that artist? Want them to keep coming back for more? I don't think you do it solely by dropping a hot song after hot song. The songs are kind of disposable, right? You want longevity. And I think you get that by having people buy into the artist. And part of that is your story. They got to care about you. They got to know who you are. What makes you tick? Why are you you? You know, Andre, who comes on here sometimes, my campaign manager, we have discussions on hip hop a lot. And he always brings up the backstory of the artist. And that is more important to him, it seems, than even the music, right? You you might talk about a new song that came out and he'll start talking about where they grew up in Detroit or something like that. Like that that means more to him, who they grew up with, who are their friends, what did they do when they were younger? And I think a lot of people are like that, even if it's not that uh, obvious, I think a lot of people even subconsciously put stock in an artist's or anyone's story, who they are, right? We want to know who you are. The music is kind of secondary and, and, you know, not to make light of the music, of course, the music should be good. But in terms of getting the public to really buy into you, right, and care about you, I think they right. got to feel like they know you and a sense of who you are and where you came from. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's part of like crafting that image. And uh, also when they know about you, they can f- kind of feel like they they go with you through the journey. Right. So from wherever their introduction or whatever your backstory is to, to however you grow and navigate going forward with your music releases or whatever it is, or your position, this and that, they kind of feel like they go with you, you know? And, and, you know, we'd see a lot of that. Uh, sometimes it's negative. You know, you'd see people like, especially in the underground space, like what happened with the black IPs, like they supported mm-hmm. them there. And then when they got to the pop area, like, Oh, psh, you switch, we don't follow you no more. Sellouts. <laughs> Sellouts. We don't, you know, but, I think that's that's how you craft an artist or you you get an artist to be more successful or to get people to be those fans is if they can follow your journey or invest in who you are. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's not just with an artist. I mean, this could even relate to the discussion we were talking about, right? Just you as a brand and someone who's trying to be out there in the world in whatever capacity. Politicians, same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Or even in your social life, right? I mean, anything. I think it's it's about that. It's about making people have a sense of what makes you tick and, and who you are. And then when I'm thinking about my music in particular, I'm thinking about how the story really needs to be told to sell these songs. I mean, for one thing, to provide context, right? Because where else would you hear someone rapping about being a lawyer and a politician, all these different things? you got to know a little bit about who I am and you'll get a sense of that from the songs. But the story really, I think, drives that home. You know, who is right, this? Right. What are we listening to? What is this about? And I think that makes right. it all interesting. If you know about that, it makes the whole thing interesting. Right. Yeah. Unique. And, you know, and it's not it's not to say, to say that I'm the only unique one. It's what, what I'm doing is unique in this way. But I think everyone can do something that's unique in their own way. And it's about carving that lane for yourself based on who you are. Right. That's why it's important to tell that story. What makes you different from everyone else? Because there's a million rappers out there, not just rappers. There's, there might be a million people trying to get the job you're going for. I mean, you know what I mean, whatever it is that you're doing, what makes you you? What makes you unique? Why should people care about you? That's the story you right. got. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. So I think the bottom line here is that video submissions for jobs suck and uh, <laughs> music videos for rap songs could be dope. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm going to make some videos regardless of whether I get called back on the second interview. Or not. Right. 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 Making these videos. Right. Um, question in the chat. When does your album drop? Mike, will we get mm. signed autographs? <laughs> Who asked that question? Is that James? No, uh, Lixa. Okay. Anything for you, Lixa. <laughs> no, we don't, have a date. we don't have a date for the album yet. Like I was mentioning, I'm really so focused on completing the project and the content that I haven't even really put that time in to actively think about that. I definitely, because it's getting to be the end of the year now, I definitely want to have this all ready very soon so that I can start releasing. I'll probably start with one, two, or three singles before the full album. And I definitely want to start getting those out by the beginning of next year at the very latest. Right. I haven't signed an autograph in mad long. Just thinking mm -hmm. about that. Crazy. People kind of stop caring about autographs. Now they want selfies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I do get that, but that's mostly from being in politics or just active in a community. Sometimes people will come out and say, Hey, can I have a selfie with you? That's always cool. Right. So yeah. Keep your eyes out for the new Scala album. Yeah. Yeah. The new single too. We'll start off with a single kind of ease people into it, build up that buzz, that anticipation. So someone who didn't, ease her way into the situation uh oh transition yeah i want to get her name right here she's a city councilwoman in brooklyn her name Hello. is inna vernikoff she was arrested this past friday on charges of criminal possession of a firearm because she was photographed at a rally with a gun <laughs> visible on her waist now What's interesting about this, from a legal perspective at least, is she did have a license, right? And we talked about the Supreme Court gutting New York's previous gun law and essentially saying, listen, if you have a license to possess a gun, you should be able to carry it. And it allowed, it essentially forced New York to allow people to carry guns in public if they were appropriately licensed to have them in the first place. Well, in response to what the Supreme Court did, New York went back to the drawing board and passed new legislation saying, OK, the Supreme Court says we must allow people to carry guns if they have a license. Well, we are going to limit where you can carry a gun. And this is based on some language that was in that Supreme Court decision alluding to this idea that there could be sensitive areas where guns would not be allowed. Now, how expansive can this be? That's still to be determined. It's being litigated, being fought over. But as of now, there is a list of sensitive areas, according to New York State, where you are not allowed to have a gun. Even if you have that permit, you're allowed to carry it in public generally. You can't go into these sensitive areas. And a rally, a protest is one of them. In fact, I pulled up a list here. And it's a pretty 
big list. This is actually from the New York State website. It's gunsafety.ny.gov. And on their FAQ page, if you scroll down, you can see a list of places. It says any location owned or under control of federal, state, or local government for the purpose of government administration, including courts. So that would be an important one, I think. And the list goes on. Places of worship or religious observation, libraries, public playgrounds, parks and zoos, preschool summer camps, all these different state offices are listed here. Homeless shelters are on here. Colleges, universities, private schools, other educational institutions, public transportation and transit facilities, bars and restaurants serving alcohol and on-premises cannabis consumption locations, polling places, theaters, stadiums, racetracks, museums, amusement parks, performance venues, concert halls, gaming facilities, banquet halls, okay, polling places. I said that public sidewalks and other public areas that are restricted from general public access for a limited time or special event, Times Square, the entire Times Square, as determined by New York City. And this part here, which is the relevant portion, in this case, gatherings of people to collectively express their constitutional rights to assemble or protest. So. So basically, you can carry your, your gun with a permit in your living room. Right. Although it is supposed to be for public carrying, right? Because previously, if you had the permit, you could have it in your house. Regardless, right. this was about taking it out into the public. But it is very restrictive, as you see it. And, you know, it is being contested because there are some obviously you were saying that this is so restrictive it's as if you can't carry in the first place of course new york state didn't want to have to do this because new york state wanted to keep it where you basically couldn't carry in public at all right but now their hands are tied so they're trying to be as restrictive as possible here right. and i understand why all of these things are on the list right but i Absolutely. also understand the perspective that if i'm allowed per the supreme court constitutionally to carry a gun in public why am i being restricted to, to, to carry it basically anywhere in the city right because i'm going to be traveling in a city and i'm almost inevitably going to be crossing into some of these zones that are considered sensitive areas right. where i could be now you know i could be uh, charged with a felony for taking my gun into these areas and that's exactly what's being hap what's, ha what's happening here we're going to see how this plays out if she is convicted of a felony she stands to lose her city council seat automatically. And there are calls, of course, for her to resign already. But we have to see what happens. I mean, it could be a plea bargain situation. Maybe it gets knocked down to a misdemeanor. I don't know. I don't think we have a whole lot of experience as a city and as a state with this new framework, right? Because you do have to start asking questions about what they call mens rea in the law or the type of mind state that someone has, a type of guilt, right. right? The level of guilt that you can put on them. You know, I think in this case, it might be different from the typical, I'm just walking around with my gun and stumbling upon an area situation. She, it right. looks like, went to this rally knowing she was going to carry a gun to the rally. And so ignorance of the law is not an excuse. We, we hear that a lot, but the mens rea is relevant to the extent of what was her mind state here or, or anyone in this situation? What kind of criminal mind state is necessary? Are we going to be charging people with felonies for stumbling upon an area that's considered sensitive? What if you just walked through one and it was never your intention to go there? What if you didn't know that was a sensitive area? Again, ignorance of the law is not an excuse, but do you have the necessary criminal mind state that right. should justify charging someone with a felony offense? Because that is a serious offense. And now we are talking about people who do have licenses to carry their guns in public. And so right. is it, I think, from a legal perspective and a constitutional perspective, a little tricky. Right. Yeah. And and again, I, like I said, I agree with you. I, I understand why all of those places listed are on on that list. Um, but in, and I think in this case, it's, you know, she went there specifically. It wasn't like a case of she just meandered into a protest like she specifically went to that protest, specifically brought her gun with her. So, I mean, I think that's, I mean, you can't, can't obviously can't say she definitely went there for intimidation, but it, it does look like you went there for intimidation. Right. I mean, and to be fair, we don't know all of the facts, at least I don't, 
about how this all played out. Now, we know that this was a rally for Palestine. And I guess she was there to counter protest, right? Again, she's a city council member from Brooklyn. We would want to know things like how often does she carry that gun? How many other events does she go to that day? I mean, what if as a city council member who was just pro-gun and maybe making a political point, I don't know, but what if she had a habit of carrying her gun around everywhere she went? And what if she went to 10 different events that day? One of them happened to be this protest. The others had nothing to do with protests. She just carries the gun around because she's a gun-toting council member. Would that change the analysis of whether she should be charged with a felony? Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I could see there. I mean, although if the law says that you're not supposed to do it, you would expect the councilwoman to know that, or at least someone that's in her advisory circle, be like, hey, you can't can't do that. Um, That's a good point, too, right? It's like the boxer who punches someone while they're they should know that their fists are potentially deadly weapons. And so we hold them to a higher standard than the layperson. Here you're saying she's a city council member, so she should know what the law is more than the layperson. Right. You know, um, and you can't expect, of course, you can't expect any any politician or whatever to know every single law. But this is right. one, it's not a it's not a small law Two, you know, she's going to have advisory people around her. I doubt she showed up by herself. I doubt when she was making the plan to go that she didn't talk to people around her who are also in this sphere of dealing with law and legislation someone you would expect would have mentioned something you so, would think yeah you would think, I think so. this, is, this this is just is it just play, playing into you know this conflict that's that's taking place you know in in the middle east israel and and palestine she was jewish um and this was an uh, what was it a pro-palestine rally um she's very pro-israel mm-hmm. and you know, there's a lot of tensions right now that that's happening, and there, I mean, there always is, but even more now because of the fl- the recent flashpoints. And you know, it's 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 uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of issues like this. I think. Right now, from her perspective, she might say she's trying to defend herself. Maybe she sure. for her safety. Maybe it wasn't to intimidate or threaten other people. Maybe at least from her perspective, you know, maybe she would say she would argue that she felt unsafe in that kind right. of environment. But you know what? That's why people have bodyguards. I mean, there are ways to, to do it properly, right? Public officials so, do carry bodyguards or police details or whatever when they feel unsafe. And so it doesn't give you the authority to take the law in your own hands either. Right. Well, see, here, here's the thing is like that that's, she would be justified. I, I think anyone, um, she would be justified, especially right now in this hot button uh flashpoint type of scenario environment that we're in right now for her showing up at that rally and that there'd be the possible of some sort of violent retaliation right i i can understand that um and that would be the same if it was a pro-israel rally and someone was coming in and they were pro-palestine i can understand them feeling the same way as well um but the thing is, she has she very much has the choice to not go at all. If you think going there is going to be dangerous, it's going to be potential for violence against you, then don't go. It wasn't your rally to begin with, right? She showed up there with a gun, you know, with this this gun on her hip, knowing even if, if she felt that there might have been something and she brought that for protection. Well, if you feel like there's going to be some bodily harm to you that you need your gun, then don't go. Mm. So she had that choice. I think again, I we're and we're seeing it not just with this situation. We're seeing yeah. this with a lot of pro-gun um, folks, especially from the right. They're showing up to these political rallies, or you know, politician speeches, or well, I don't know. They're going to like uh, government buildings with their guns, saying, "Well, we have the right to do that." Like you're doing it for performative aspects of it right you're right. doing it for intimidation you're, you're not doing it because you're actually interested in yeah. 
whatever the debate is that's going on. You're doing Those it to two different things, right? It, it yeah. might not be intimidation. It might be performative. It might be a way to right. signal to her followers that, you know, look at me. I have the guts to show up to the other side's rally and I've, I got a gun because I'm pro Second Amendment and I believe in that and I'm not going to back down. And, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. So I right. definitely see it could be that. I'm not saying it definitely was in this case, but it could be. Right. I do believe that this was the same city council member who was recently in the news because someone assaulted her while she was doing an interview. I believe she's the same one. She was doing an interview on TV or somewhere. She had a microphone and she was talking to the reporter or whatever. And someone walked by and I believe they forcibly kissed her on the cheek and then kept walking. And I know she made, if, if it is her, I, I guess I do believe it is her. They made a really big deal about it at the time. And I remember taking note because she was a Republican and she was talking about women's rights and all this type of stuff, which, you know, some might look at that as, as a level of hypocrisy, but I think she was doing it to try to get some of those points for herself because she knew that as a Republican, normally she doesn't get that kind of credit. So that aspect of it always kind of struck me that this was a Republican talking about how women are mistreated, right? But part of the story here could be, and again, I don't know, maybe since feeling unsafe following that incident, she started carrying a gun. That could, that, have, right? That could have been the case too. No, that's that's very true. Um, I think that that should be to be looked at uh, as well. Um, but uh, and you're right. I looked it up. That is that was her. She was okay. apparently doing something, and some stranger came up and and kissed her. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's something to consider. Um, at the same time, you know, she is a councilwoman. She could come with people. She could come with guards. Um, and I'm not saying don't show up um, at a protest or a rally as a, a, a counter protest. I'm not saying don't do that. But um, you you know what the law is in this regard and what you're risking or what you're potentially bringing into the situation, even if you're not bringing it as intimidation or performative, you know that that's what, what's going to be the optics, especially if you're in politics, you should know how the optics are going to look on that. Mm -hmm. You know, I yeah, think we're I just, think, yeah, I would think that someone on that side politically might think that that actually helps them with their, yeah, they probably do. Right. <laughs> to be fair, they probably do. Cause you're right. Cause then, you know, the pro, the really hardcore pro, uh, gun advocates are going to be like, yeah, look what yeah. she did. Yeah. You know, right. right. It's, and, and you know what? It's, it's part of, you know, one of the things that I keep saying as far as in this gun debate and everyone's like, yeah, we have the right to, to, to bear arms and you can go here with your gun, you can carry. And, and you're right, we do. But obviously our maturity level isn't such that we are able to, you know, handle this, this freedom and this responsibility, because look at what's, what's happening. You know, we're not, we're not there yet. We were, we're not mature enough to handle it clearly. You know, it's funny too, looking at this list of sensitive areas and in particular gatherings of people to collectively express their constitutional rights to assemble a protest in theory, because a protest could break out at any point, right? An assembly, right can break out at any point in theory could you basically force someone to be committing a felony if they're carrying their gun around you and you say all right, all right everyone let's, let's let's protest right now and they're in our space and so they got to leave otherwise they're committing a felony a protest flash mob yeah i mean i guess you could I mean, no, because not not to be funny about it it's it's just that it's a kind of a vague term, a protest, right? A protest could be anything and it could break right. out at any time. What if, I don't know, what, okay, what if there's an incident with a, with a police officer and you have five witnesses and they, they say, hey, you know, this officer is mistreating this person and they're protesting. Maybe they're taking their cameras out or they start a chant or whatever. Now you have a protest. It just formed. The person standing next to them with the gun, are they suddenly committing a felony? Well, I think, it, I mean, in some of these types of um questions you would you would hope you would hope that the the legal system the judges would look at this type of situation and be like yeah well they didn't go there with the intent they were there and it happened while they were there that doesn't apply you would you would hope that that would be how they right. were figuring 
Right. And I think that speaks to this idea of ignorance is not an excuse. You hear that a lot. It's, but it's ignorance of the situation versus ignorance of the law. Right. It's not an excuse to say, well, I didn't know that that was a felony to bring a gun to a protest. But, you know, if you don't know what's really going on, then you might not have the requisite mental state required to be found guilty of that crime. Right. So it's not that you don't know what the law was necessarily. It's that you didn't know that this constituted an assembly and you weren't allowed to be here because you didn't consider it an assembly when you, when you walked there or, you know, or, or, or whatever. Maybe, for example, you walked by uh, a school, but you didn't realize that that was a school at the time. And, and then when you realized that you left, that's the type of thing I think that is relevant to your mind state. And I think you can use to a certain degree your ignorance as a defense, yeah. right? And in, in that situation, not so much. I just didn't know that that was a law. Yeah, I mean, for example, uh, I was um, I was in Osaka with a friend, and we were just walking uh, through the streets. Um, you know, and it was a just a regular weekend day, and just out, you know, walking around um, in downtown Osaka, and walked into a a protest. Mm. You know, they were they were marching on the street. They were you know because they were protesting some change to the constitution and. We didn't know a protest was going on that day. We hadn't intended on going there. We just basically turned a corner and here was this protest with the streets were blocked off and people just, you know, walking past us, um, protesting with signs and everything like that. Like, had that been this type of situation, I guess, technically, we would have been uh, committing a felony if we had guns on us. Right. If we had guns on you. <laughs> yeah. Don't yeah. have that issue here in Japan. <laughs> right, right. And I think a lot of this really is to discourage people, let's be honest, from walking around with guns. Sure. And 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 I am completely for that. I don't think we want the streets to be like the image that we get in the movies of the old west where everyone's walking around with guns on their hips. Cuz you know, one, it's it's definitely less safe. Uh and two, I don't think we have the maturity level to to handle that responsibility properly. I just don't. Our society just doesn't have it. Could you imagine someone walking with a gun? And of course, they think they're badass because they got the gun, but now they're scared because they're stumbling upon these sensitive areas, right? They're walking down the street like, yeah, I'm a gun. I can go wherever with my gun. No one's going to bother me. And then a protest breaks out and they turn around. They, they start running. <laughs> Why are you running? Because I got a gun. I can't be here. It's kind of funny. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I think the, the issue, you know, we're, we're looking at a completely uh, a, a foundational issue that needs to be somehow addressed and fixed that people feel the need to be out in public with their gun everywhere or in certain scenarios that you feel like you have to have it. You know, yeah. 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. You know, people did go to counter protests people did go to rallies people did go out to to starbucks and it just wasn't the need to to show everyone that i've got my gun or i have a permit for it. you know like there's a, a, a something that needs to be addressed that speaks to that where people feel the more need to go out and do that but it's also a philosophical thing right because some people think that that's the best way to protect yourself and some people have right. faith in law enforcement or they think it's, you know, it's, it'll take too long for them to come or whatever. And I agree. they've got to take matters into their own hands. And so when you see crime up or you hear about more incidents of crimes, especially on public transit in certain areas, then there are people who have that philosophy already who say right. to themselves, I need to be carrying, otherwise I'm not going to even go out or I'm going to avoid all these places. Right. Right. So, there's that philosophical divide, I think. Some people are just going to think that's the best way to protect yourself. Others don't see it that way. And even if crime, let's say, is up, they don't think the solution is we all need to be carrying guns. I think wow. there's a certain type of person who believes that. And, and you see that said, right, that talking point repeated. The only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And they think that the solution is for more people to be armed. And right. especially in New York City, I don't think that's the prevailing view. No, and, and and it shouldn't be. Um, it, it it doesn't work, you know. I mean, you some people are going to be deterred, yes, but there's also at the same time they're going to be some people going to feel emboldened 
because now they've got that gun on their on their hip you know whereas you know they might not have acted a certain way before but now they've got a gun so now they're going to feel a little bit more brash because they've got this on their hip right and yeah, i just thought of something we got to do this because we, we're going to run out of time soon but maybe next week or on a future episode we can look at this the state of origin database remember they passed we advocated for that to be passed and it was passed but in the law i think it was quarterly they required these stats to be posted on line so we gotta get a, our hands on these stats we gotta make sure that they are posted and start to go through them because we want to see that these guns are not coming from new york that was a big part of the discussion right that right. gun laws do matter because guns used in crimes here originate for the most part in states where it's easy to get them right and the laws are not strict right well she's uh she's about to to, to find out what's going to happen here you know because um she could but i guess what was it they said that she could lose her counsel seat or will lose her right. counsel if she is convicted of a felony we have to see yeah. what happens with that and i guess that is going to be our poll question of the week so the question of the week is, do you believe that the New York City council member who brought a gun to a protest should lose her seat on the city council? Yeah, we'll see what people have to and, say about that. Yeah. And I kind of want to take the politics out of it in terms of, are you pro-Israel, pro-Palestine? How do you feel about this protest? I want to know what people think about the idea of bringing a gun to a protest, regardless of what the protest was about. Right. Let's make it more about carrying a gun to the protest, which is considered by law now a sensitive area, which could give you criminal liability. Right. Yeah. So we'll see what, what people have to say. And speaking yeah. of that, we do have our poll question from last week. OK. Um, and this was in regards to Mayor Adams and his Latin America tour. He did a four day tour um, through um mexico ecuador colombia and the darien gap and yeah. basically basically well said that he was going to see what was conditions were like there that were causing people to come here but also to let people know basically that uh hey new york's full man um uh, but also to clarify to them uh i think he did mention that he thinks people were being misled to think that when they got to the states that there's going to be you know accommodations and jobs waiting for them where that's just not the case um and so as it was built as he was uh going there to dissuade people from trying to make that long and treacherous journey uh to the states and so the question was do you agree with mayor adams effort to reach out to latin american countries and encourage their residents not to migrate to the u.s so results were 40 percent yes 47% no and 15, uh, 13% I'm not sure hmm. um, were the okay. results on there. So no majority, just a plurality of people saying no, but pretty close. Right. And, you know, what was what was more kind of unique about the situation is that he, I mean, even though New York is one of the biggest cities on the planet, one of the most populated cities on the planet, he is still a city mayor. He's not a, a a national politician. He's still just a local city mayor. Right. And they on can, that point, Jay, I want to remind folks that New York City mayors and former mayors have run for a higher office, including president, many times over the years. And nobody has ever made it past the office of New York City mayor. No one has ever made it to higher office beyond that. So they always mm -hmm. aspire to it. They always think, oh, I'm mayor of New York City. I'm going to be president, governor, whatever. And they always lose when they try. And so... Mm. Uh, as of now, New York City mayor is a dead end job. <laughs> I mean, and and the thing is, I think we do lose sight of the fact that, you know, he is a mayor um, or that that position is a mayor position because it's such a high profile position because of the city itself. Right. But you're still a local official, basically. Right. Um, and going on an international uh, type of tour like this is something that's not common for local mayors to do so 
we had some com we had some comments as well but the comments were all were all in the negative right uh, one says absolutely not um he's a mayor of a u.s city and no way represents the federal government uh he has no right to conduct foreign policy on behalf of the u.s just like tom cotton had no right to send the iranian government a letter contradicting their deal with the u.s here's the um, thing though i understand that perspective the New York City Council will frequently pass resolutions on matters of foreign policy, for example. They're not enacting official policy. They know that they're bound by the city charter and the state constitution, and they're a municipal body, but they can speak on other issues. And that's really, I think, the distinction. You're not making policy, but if you have that position, you are allowed to go on record and speak on it. Use your position to influence what goes on. Maybe part of that is lobbying, as we talked about other governments, state and federal government. Maybe part of it is doing fact-finding overseas. I don't know. Again, I understand the perspective that's kind of outside their role, but I think we do need to draw the, the distinction between speaking on something and actually trying to enact policy or law that's beyond your jurisdiction right now to be to be fair and i think we, we did kind of bring up some points when we talked about this is that um you know it looks like he's in a tough position right because you know there are at this point over one hundred twenty thousand uh migrants have come to new york in the past year you know we're talking sometimes upward of, of a thousand a day um he did you know their um space is an issue budget is an issue he did attempt to reach out to Governor Hochul to, for help in uh, getting other areas of New York involved to, to be able to provide for people coming there. He did try to get some help from the federal government and he was uh, criticized by the, the administration saying that he doesn't have an exit strategy for how to deal with migrants when they leave um, shelters. So it would seem he did attempt to go the chain of command, so to speak. Um, so you know they neither of them refused to help that doesn't change the fact that he still has to deal with the migrants in the city and millions of residents in the city and something has to be done so even this is an unorthodox approach i could understand uh this idea to take a proactive step in this regard right you know and we just talked about the councilwoman in brooklyn doing something that may seem performative this might be performative on the mayor's part it could it could be performative i mean he you know he doesn't really have the authority to do you know foreign policy in that regard um and but it could be again it could be performative um because you know the, the federal government is gonna be looking at that and it's gonna raise some eyebrows i'm sure mm -hmm. um and put some maybe some calls are gonna go go through like what the heck is this guy doing uh type of thing same with hokel so it could be in that regard as well right um, and so, that actually could end up being a positive thing, right? Even if it has that performative aspect, if it inspires action from those who can enact change to policy. Right. So, you know, that was um, the comments mostly said, no, this is another one. No, this is not the right action. He should stay home and try to do something to solve the problem, um, which, I mean, he has attempted to. Mm -hmm. um they the the comment mentioned that he should try to uh deal with the price gouging hotels um there are there was a, a bloomberg article that this person attached to their comment showing that new york city pays over 300 dollars a night for budget hotel rooms for migrants so it seems hotels are gouging the city on allowing migrants to stay here when they typically would charge like $110 a night, they're charging this the city $300 a night. Well, the city is paying it. You know, I've dealt with hotels who preferred from a strictly financial standpoint to rent out their rooms to homeless folks because the city would pay them so much more money than right. the other customers would. And so it didn't make any financial sense for them. And you would go to some hotels, you know, the hotels all about JFK airport, there are so many of them, right? And you think, oh, wow, there, there's no shortage of hotels here. A lot of them though, if you go into them, never have any vacancies for people. They're exclusively used to house homeless people because the city pays them so much money to put them up. 
Yeah, and that's you know, I, I agree with this person. It's a price gouging type of situation. Um, you know, why why does it cost three hundred dollars for a migrant there versus the hundred ten that someone else? Now I know it's it's you look at it and say, well, the market three hundred. You know, people, the average traveler, tourists are not going to pay you three hundred dollars for your budget hotel. Um, and, and the city the is telling them that that's what they're going to give them. I don't think it's being demanded of them. Maybe now it's gotten to a point where the hotels can demand it because it's what they're used to. But right. my understanding of the situation was the city basically said, we are in a desperate situation here. We will give you all this extra money if you'll let us use your rooms. Right. Well, that's an issue there, I think. Um, then we have... Uh, another comment said, uh, well, asked about which Latin countries, and the, I mentioned which ones it were, the Mexican, Mexico, Ecuador, Colombia, and Darien Gap. And this person said, oh, so he just went to the nicest places except for the Gap. I wonder if he knows that Mexican immigration to the U.S. is negative. These are not places exporting people. It was negative. I think we talked about that. I believe for the past several years, it's been positive again, but right. it isn't fair point i think there are some places he just wouldn't be welcome i mean he's not gonna be walking through venezuela right right and that's what this person said i'd like to see him visit nicaragua honduras and venezuela to see for himself <laughs> so it's like it's like the tourist who visits new york city and says i've seen america i bet he knows little or nothing <laughs> yeah or times square for that matter hey when people come to new york city and they stay in times square and they think they've seen new york city they think they've seen like what my experience is living here, for example, or anyone else, <laughs> I think that's typical of New York City. Right, right. So, so, um, yeah. So, uh, interesting poll question. Um, interesting situation. You know. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. You know, and, and I guess whether we agree or disagree with all of the mayor's methods, we should commend him on trying to do something on at least speaking out on it right on, on not shutting up not giving up the fight uh, you know some people will argue it, it's been effective it hasn't been effective but we do see him out there trying to address the issue no i i agree i i'm not a i'm not generally a fan of 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 him and with some of the things that he does but um i do I, I do feel him on this issue and I think he's trying to do something. You know, I do believe that he's actually trying to uh, make a positive resolution on this and he's, his back is against the wall here. Yeah. So, you know, he's kind of in a situation where it's, you know, damned if he does do damned if he don't, you know? Um, and so, you know, it, it's, it's tough. Yeah, no, it definitely is tough. That's why yeah. I'm envious of him this year or really anyone in office it's it's a very difficult year i think right. yeah absolutely you know because again you know regardless of whoever's answers or what or whatever the politics are around it or you know you can say the, the countries he went to aren't the right countries so you can address how mexico treats migrants coming through their southern border the same way we treat them coming through our southern border um you can say all kinds of things, but the fact is he's still responsible for the millions of residents in New York City and the hundreds of thousands of uh, migrants that have come in and trying to find a way to make that situation work day to day. That everything else falls to the wayside because that's still there. Right, right. Well, with that said, I think we're about at our our mark, are we not? Um, We could be. Oh snap! Are we are we running it on time? We are kind of probably on time this time. Check that out. Well, we could go to the bottom line then. I'll kick that to you this time. Is it on me? Yeah, oh my God. You. you know what? I think the bottom line here is that we need to uh, kind of chill out a little bit. Um, I think a lot of things that are happening that's going on today is a lot of performative uh, measures on a variety of different topics and subjects. And all that's going to do is to keep pushing um, things further into the extremes, right? Um, showing up to, to rallies with, with guns on your hips mm. um, 
and uh saying certain statements to to rally people that are in your base even if you tr you believe it or you don't believe it like it's it's all very performative and it doesn't address what's really happening or provide solutions for it so i think we should dial back this type of nature and actually work to do something that's going to actually be effective and beneficial yeah yeah and stop sending cover letters um yeah we can stop sending cover letters um and don't ask for video submissions you know i think it's performative also it's right ridiculous right right <laughs> so yeah. let's get to what we're here to do like we said we've got work to do right but before we log off you can catch us on instagram at nuance show we're on youtube at nuance show you can go watch the replays over there we are approaching a hundred thousand views on the youtube channel and so we'll do something when that happens, maybe celebrate some of our loyal listeners and viewers. We are, of course, available wherever podcasts can be found. So you subscribe, you get those podcasts in audio form delivered directly to your devices. As always, like, subscribe, share, engage with us. We appreciate all of you guys for tuning in and joining us each and every week. As always, these are interesting discussions. We do have work to do, and we will catch you next time.